That last verse, Katrina, has to be absolutely my favorite that you read. I just love that. The old, the old way of saying that in Old English is, sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof, meaning mellow out today, God's got it, we're going to be okay, just kind of let the days unwind. And that's just so tough to do. Uh, I've got friends across the nation, as you know, you do, you have friends who are saying, hey, how's it going? How you doing in California? What's up? How, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now my friends from Florida, from Georgia, from Texas, from Arizona are calling me and saying, how are you guys doing church there again? You know, we're a little crazy here and we don't know. And how'd you do the shutdown and all those things? And and, and it's amazing how that sense of fear and a little bit of nervousness has kind of creeped back into the, into the culture. And um, so our sermon and, and that scripture that Katrina read, and I love when she reads scripture, um, she's going away to school on the, on the East Coast. We're not going to let her go. We will let her go and do church, uh, uh, do a, well, maybe you can go there and then beam in here or stay here and beam in there. Either way is, is fine, but... I'm so grateful for your gifts that God has given you and the demonstration of them. It's just awesome. Thank you so much. Sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. This morning, as, as Marco said and Pastor Mike got us going, we're going to work a little bit on the book of Acts chapter 4 and talk about what the people of God were marked by. Uh, when, when, when the people outside of the culture, outside of the Christian community looked in, what did they see at the Christians? And as we move a little bit more maybe into a first century understanding of Christianity in the years that are to come, um, what they were marked by may be what we're marked by. And, uh, and I love that because the Christian movement is the largest, biggest, most successful, most influential, most long-lasting movement in the history of the world. In the book of Acts, that movement is being uh, built up. The roots of that movement are being built up so much and so powerful that today there's probably hundreds of millions at least and maybe billions of people dialed in digitally or in worship settings remembering the one who made the movement, the movement, Jesus of Nazareth. So the, 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 you, you would have to dig to find a part of life that Christianity has not affected for for the better. A simple list of this is art, science, literacy, and education, abolition, hospitals, healthcare, orphanages, and architecture. You name it, our movement has dealt with it, has, has hammered it head on, has, has worked in the times where Christianity is hot and happening and people are like, yeah, being a Christian is great, let's go. And in times of sickness, war, pandemic, painful pieces of culture where people are against one another. All of that Christianity has made its way through and made people's lives better because Christianity provided a radical worldview that was in huge contrast, distinct from the society and the values that were presented politically, economically, or maybe philosophically. Think of that, 2019 years plus another 30 our movement continues to grow and shape everything it touches. And I think it goes back to Acts chapter 4. When the description of the community is there before you, these words. All the believers were one in heart and mind. 
No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Christianity was never meant to be lived out alone or apart from community. That whole thing of I, 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 I really isn't reflected in the book of Acts. I did this, I did that, I did this, I believe I... What is reflected in the book of Acts is the community of people living together, sharing life and faith faith together. Now, if you ask me a list of John Wayne movies, I can go through and tell you from thus and such to thus and such, and probably Green Berets, one of my favorite movies of all times, uh, the, the, the Fighting Seabees, you go back, John Wayne. But, but John Wayne was always the, the one guy, right? He was the big burly dude of America and all that stuff, and and when the movie was ended, it was either John Wayne on his own riding on a horse into the, into the sunset to save the day for another little cowboy town, or, or maybe he was the one who made the sacrifice like uh, in the Sands of Iwo Jima. But it was always about John Wayne being big and tough and kind of on his own. And that picture has etched its way into American Christianity Part of the reason why I went back to this sort of a sermon series is that to be reminded and to have etched into our hearts that we don't do faith alone, isolated, but that we do faith in community together. And that flies against so much of the transactional, so much of the transactional value system of our, of our culture if I get and I make this investment, then what is the ROI, the return on investment? What do I get back? If I do this, then what do I get? If I do that, then what do I get? And that kind of cuts both ways, right? If I do something bad and I'm a dishonest businessman, then no one wants to do business and I get what I deserve. On the other hand, people say, yeah, but when I do good things and then, then, then transaction. If I do this, then... What do I get back? When we look at that text from Acts chapter 4, that's not what it's about. It's not about getting what you deserve. It's not about leveraging every relationship, every person, so that we can get a little bit more from them than they take from us. So at the end, when our, when our coffin, when our ashes are out there, somehow we can say, hey, I got a little bit more out of this life than I gave away. I got a couple more points. But the reality is that Christians don't live that way. We are not in a transactional faith or a transactional community where we leverage one another to get more goodies because time has shown that a transactional way of living life, whether it's in a family system, a church system, a business system, sucks the life out of those around us. And transactional faith always comes with criticism and fear, trying to hold on tightly to me and mine and what's in it for me, rather than being of one heart and one mind and letting go of goodies. The piece from the Sermon on the Mount that Katrina read is so real for us as well. 
as we kind of do the second wave of the pandemic and people are saying, wait a minute, I had this and I was all set. We had our figured all, we had our food and blah and then and gad no, and work and all that figured out. And then we see the spikes in the, in the, in the number of infections. We're like, wait a minute, now what? Now what do we do? Not too long after the pandemic started, I, I went to Costco. My father-in-law, who's a farmer in Minnesota, nicest, kindest man in the world, he said, you better go to Costco or wherever and stock up on meat because there's not going to be any meat and we're all going to die because we're not going to have enough protein, blah, 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 blah. So I hadn't been nervous on the front end of the pandemic and I hadn't hoarded all of the stuff that we were hoarding four months ago, which you know the list, right? Toilet paper and wipes and hand sanitizer and all of those things. So I went to Costco and bought $350 of steaks and ribeye and all that good stuff. And what a way to go, right? Anyone want to quarantine with the Klinkenbergs? Because I got a freezer full of red meat that'll knock your socks off. I did that because I was afraid. I did that because I was nervous. Instead of having faith in the Lord... And saying, Lord, I know that you're going to provide. I know that I'm more valuable than birds and grass and flowers. And I know that you'll provide for me in some way, shape, or form. I don't need to hold on so tightly. I can let, let go a little bit. Letting go, right? Letting go just a little bit. We hang on so tightly. We become so nervous and so focused on what we have and we don't have that we lose sight of the bigger picture of what life means and how God connects to us. Those words from Matthew chapter 6 are Jesus' words. Some of my favorite words of he, he ever said, that Sermon on the Mount. If you notice in our scripture readings, I come back to those time and time again. Whenever I need to meditate on a little bit of scripture, I come back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Are you not more valuable than grass? Are you not more valuable than flowers? Doesn't the Lord care for you more than birds of the air? The answer to all that is, well, course he does because we've got a Jesus who knew what to hold on to and what to let go our Jesus our Savior the man who spoke those words he let go of of, of pride and arrogance and ego Philippians chapter 2 says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on the cross in terms of a transaction Jesus lost on that one everything he had is over and done to the point where he was executed and mocked and made fun of. But in that transaction, he gave everything to us. We give him our sin and he gives us forgiveness. Were Jesus to look and say, is it worth it? He would look at the ability to win us over and say, it's not about me. It's about my people and my great love for them. And in that letting go of his life, he won everything for you and me. And he lets go of our sin as well. The stuff that we hang on to with guilt, we say, I've got to hang on to this because this is where I'm at and blah, blah, blah. Jesus says, let me take that from you. I'm going to let that go. That luggage that you carry around in your heart and your mind, I'm done with that. I'm going to set that down right here. And we're going to leave that at the cross and it's forgiven, and it's gone. So don't worry or fret about the past. And don't be anxious for the future. Because I'm with you, and I got this. 
the things that we would hold on to emotionally in our hearts and in our minds, those sins are paid for with the blood of Jesus. So he lets go and forgives our sins and takes away the anxiety of how we stand before God. So on the platform of building a life, we can say the first step, the first piece is solid because it's the piece that God has, that God has constructed for us in Jesus. And so as he lets go of ego, as he lets go of sin, what Jesus holds on to tenaciously is you, is us. There's no pandemic that's going to shake us from the hands of the Savior. There's no economic uncertainty. There's no cultural upheaval that's ever going to shake us away from the hand of Jesus. And anything that we think would cause us, would cause him to let go is gone at the cross. He holds tightly to you, not leveraging for more obedience. Because this is Jesus, our Savior, who loves us. And people who love you don't do that. The one who started the most significant and most impactful moment in the history, movement in the history of the world. Who's moved billions of people. He's the one who holds, holds on to you and me. I love that piece. And I love that picture. One in heart and one in mind. So we hold on to faith and teaching and community. And we do so as we let go of a cheapened Christianity. A Christianity right now which is seeking to go deeper rather than wider. And as Christianity comes out of the pandemic and churches begin to reanimate and, 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 re, and, re, and, and get up and get going with their ministry, it'll be interesting to see what we're inclined to hold on to and what we're inclined to let go. It's one of those cool mornings where my associate pastor preached a better sermon than, than I've got here. And I can tell you that because I listened to Pastor Trevor's sermon this morning. And the way he articulated what our church is holding on to and letting go of is by far greater than what I've got for you in the next couple minutes. But if you have an opportunity this week, you may want to grab Pastor's sermon off our website and listen to it because it was just absolutely fantastic. Speaking of how we're embracing families and children at risk. And letting go of selfishness and pride and, and how even making one meal to serve to one family of maybe a simple hot dish makes an enormous impact of helping people. So we get away from transactional relationships and have lives that are marked by just simply giving to others. One of my favorite quotes and one of my favorite people to read about is Mother Teresa of, of Calcutta. And uh, I'd ask if you could bring that screen up. That would be really cool. So I got an awesome picture of Mother Teresa. That's my computer. This is on me. This is all live. This is good. There we go. There's Mother Teresa. When you think of who embodies the piece from Acts chapter 4, being one in heart and one in mind, and serving in such a selfless manner, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she may set the standard for the 20th century and going forward. This is her quote, love is a one-way street. It always moves away from self in the direction of the other. Love is the ultimate gift of ourselves to others. When we stop giving, we stop loving. When we stop loving, we stop growing. 
And unless we grow, we will never attain personal fulfillment. We will never open out to receive the life of God. It is through love that we encounter God. Love is a one-way street. Hearts and lives, hearts and minds united together to share and to give. What a marvelous blessing that a marvelous blessing that is for us to find fulfillment and to reach out and help other people. Each of us has an opportunity to engage in that. Mother Teresa, when asked, she said, uh, if, if, if you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. Maybe it is just the one, but one by one with billions of people, we can make an enormous impact in the world. But maybe each one, each one has an opportunity to do something that will make an impact in the life of someone else, sharing what we have. I love that idea. One of my favorite leaders of the 20th century is Winston Churchill. And if you read any of Churchill, you know, he kind of a, a wry, sarcastic humor. Uh, there, there's quotes of him that if you Google, you'll just, you'll smile and you go, wow, how could he say that? He had been drummed out of the United States for saying something so politically incorrect. But there are also some marvelous sayings that, that Winston Churchill had, this being one of them. He said, you make a living by what you earn. You make a life by what you give away. The impact of our lives is seen in the imprint of the hearts that, of other people who are served. And as you think about what you want to be remembered for and what we as a congregation want to be remembered for, perhaps it's two pieces. One is that we were no longer slaves to fear and that because we were courageous, we shared everything we had, heart, mind, physical blessings with anyone who had need. If you're with us this morning and you're needing something, you can grab us. We are probably more accessible now than we've ever been because we don't have the excuse of, hey, I'm so busy, I got to go. I'm busy, I got I got lots of people, got lots of appointments. We got appointments and we're busy, but it's a lot easier to get a hold of the church for care if you're needing something. And I'd invite you to, to do so. And there's also plenty of opportunities to share what we have. And our website is filled with the We Care experience of reaching out, or in, as Mother Teresa said, sharing out, right? Giving out. There's opportunities for that as well. And I hope that in this time that, that you would find the courage that we've sung about and shared this morning from Matthew chapter 6 and that maybe our community of faith would reflect the generosity of that early church and going forward be people not necessarily who counted the investment on the front end but shared generously and graciously because we knew that in God's sense of timing and working there's a marvelous impact that can be made. Would you please join me for a word of prayer? Thanks, Lord, for this opportunity to be together. Um, 
it's just all so new. Um, getting masks and people checked in and temperatures and all those things is just not what we're used to. But yet, as you stretch us and you move us and change us and help us figure it out, you have a marvelous way of bringing something beautiful out of something complicated. And indeed, Lord, you've done that this morning. We pray that you would walk with us and bless us as we find opportunities to serve. That, 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 that our church would be marked not by our neat buildings and all the cool things that we have by way of program, but but that at the end of the day, people will look and say, those people in Orange, those people at St. John's, they, they love other people. So bless us as we get after that. Bless our leaders as we lead towards that. We pray that you would open doors for us in reaching vulnerable families that as to yet our doors we haven't even knocked on yet. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to move through those and make an impact in the life of someone who dearly and desperately needs what we have by way of resources and what we have in our minds and in our hearts. Thank you that we are baptized into Christ, into the greatest movement in the history of mankind, and that one day we stand before the throne of the Lamb, and we sing with no masks, with no reservation, with no physical distancing. We'll let it all fly and be reminded that you make all things new and that you bring good from very, very difficult times. So bless us, Lord, as we build our lives on you and hear us as we sing.